0: good morning and welcome to hr technology weekly one step closer with stacy harris and john Sumser. good morning stacy how's the bitter cold in north carolina
1: it is definitely bitter. I'm sitting here with a blanket on my lap and footies on my feet, and uh, I've got snow out my window, John, So, which is an unusual sight here in North Carolina and Raleigh area. So, uh, so I'm enjoying the white feathery stuff coming down on, on my backyard but hoping it will go away soon.
0: So, So how cold <laughs> is it? How cold is it?
1: Well, I think I we're at maybe 16 degrees today, 17 degrees today. I haven't looked at the exact temperature, but I know it is cold enough to close the universities and the college campus where my son goes to school. So, um, yes, it is. It is cold enough that they have pretty much shut down Raleigh and Cary, where I live, completely. Nobody is out and about unless they have to be today. So, um, which which doesn't happen too often here. So
0: that's that's so sad. I had to put on socks this morning.
1: Oh. <laughs> I, know. I know. Well, and the, and the really hard part about this weather, I think, for because uh, it's going to get um, worse for the next couple of days instead of better in this area, um, is that it. You know, all up through New England, it's going to get really, really frigid temperatures. And anybody who does not have um, their electricity, power outages are going on. Who aren't who aren't able to heat their home uh, at good levels, and, and here in the south, a lot of people don't have. You know, heating systems that are made to handle this type of temperature for very long. There are going to be a lot of people right now who are struggling to heat their homes. So, um, our thoughts go out to everybody. Hopefully, everybody can stay warm and bundle up right now.
0: Wow, what a, what an interesting thing! It's too bad that global warming isn't responsible for this incredible climate change. <laughs>
1: Well, I was just having that similar conversation earlier this week with a, with a friend of mine when I was in Ohio traveling down here and she was laughing at me cause I was heading into snow. Um, and uh, we kind of came to the same conclusion that at this point it doesn't matter how it's happening. The weather is definitely, um, going to have an impact on everybody. So it's, it's, it's a very, very rough time I think for so many people. Yeah, so how about a- you, John? Is it, is it, Decent weather there, or are you starting the new year out with a? Well, well, um... you, know, you know, it's it's down, it's it's
0: down to the 40s at night, and 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 that's very cold. um I, I remember being an East Coast person and and knowing that you could have an outside temperature that was under 15 degrees. I remember that, but. I didn't like it. And and so so for anybody who is cold, think about California. Uh, think about California.
1: You don't get below you get you get wildfires, you get massive winds, you do get earthquakes, but you don't get below zero temperatures, right?
0: So oh, yeah, we had an earth- we had an earthquake last night. That's right. We did we did. We had an earthquake last night. <laughs> about about three o'clock in the morning the bed shook for thirty seconds.
1: Oh, goodness. Um, Okay. I I thought
0: there were kids back in the house. Um.
1: (laughs) Well, it's definitely, I think, uh, uh, we're starting off the year with a bang on many fronts. Weather, politics obviously had a lot of stuff going on this week, and not a lot going on in HR tech space, but everybody's starting off with predictions this year, which is is probably the, the space where most people are at this week, getting back from their holiday um vacations if for those who took holidays and getting into the new year with what they think will be big and important for next year.
0: Yeah, I don't have much time for predictions. Um I I'm, I'm not sure that they really that they really help anybody, but but I did see this piece from Brian Summer who is one of the most thoughtful and um capable analysts in the space and and he wrote a year-end summary that I wouldn't describe as predictions that, that, that's worth taking a look at. He's got 10 items that describe the trends of 2017. And and that that's, I think that's, in my mind, that's a better way of looking at what's happening in the world than, than the, the, the forward-looking predictions, as near as I can tell, are all almost always marketing documents.
1: I would have to uh, agree. I, you know, we took a look at a couple of them um, this morning to sort of talk through them, and many of them have a marketing component to them. I think everyone who works on them really tries hard to sort of give a sense of where they think things are going to be going, and I generally enjoy taking a look at all the various things going on in predictions, but I think a lot of them tend to be based off of where that person is centered at, what's their focus. And so you have to look at a lot of different types of predictions to get a sense of what actually might be going on over the next year. And most of it is stuff that we saw last year, or at least the beginning of things that we saw last year. And as I think you said, Brian Summers' uh, analysis of what happened last year was probably one of the most in-depth ones that I've seen um, compared to where we're seeing sort of some of the other conversations take place. You know, I think me and you had a conversation last week about what we thought might be sort of, um, the focus of all the various presentations and conversations and radio shows that we had over the last year. And a lot of themes came up like artificial intelligence, the conversations around uh, GDPR, ethics, data management, profile management, all of those things are pieces and parts of a lot of bigger conversations, especially if you're in the enterprise um, ERP space like David Sum- or Brian Summers is. Um, what do you think you know you see the the 10 things that we're looking at that he predicted one of the very first ones is the idea of the maturing vendor stories the fact that almost all of the erp applications are going through some sort of maturity curve right now Uh, we talked a lot about that that many of these systems have sort of hit a point at which they are now sort of almost the same in all the application offerings that they have so now they're talking a lot more about culture and Um, the approach the organizations are taking to their roadmaps, those type of things. Do you think the maturing vendor story was a big enough story last year to sort of um, have an impact on what's going to happen next year? Well,
0: Well, what Brian is really talking about is not the content of those vendors' conversations, but he's talking about the fact that as organizations get older and scale, that the way they manage things and the way that they approach their business has to change, and so you saw that you saw that kind of across the board with activist investors coming on and um, the the way that Workday's marketing messages were mimicked, um, and so 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 Workday had been able to really stand out in the in the crowd and what 2017 brought is, is as soon as as soon as work they staked out a position other people moved in and tried to claim that same position and that's a sign of being a market leader right the and the world changes that's so brian's story is is as the market changes and as the vendors get Older and wiser the way that they operate changes and the way that the entire market operates around them changes so so as a um, rookie player, workday had a lot of flexibility in its approach to the market, but as it's assumed the mantle of leadership, it's now got all sorts of ankle biters nipping at its uh, nipping at its tail
1: well and that's that's from a financial perspective and a market perspective, definitely a big part of what we're seeing is this idea that um, everyone sort of wants to be like various vendors who have done very well. Uh, Do we see the same thing for those very mature organizations, I guess? Do you think that there's the ability for some organizations like, for example, we had a conversation about Cornerstone multiple times. You know, for them to change their um, view in the market, or are, once you become mature, are you sort of seen as uh, a stable organization that isn't as exciting or isn't as sort of someone you want to follow but is a very good organization to be part of, fills all the needs, those type of things? Can you, I guess, become, change yourself into a new organization over time?
0: So there are things that you have to do, and that's that's really I think what Brian's talking about is is there was a class of new entrants into the market about ten or twelve years ago, with Cornerstone being on that list, Workday being on that list, who have succeeded to the point that they have to do some things differently. So in the case of, of Cornerstone, what they have to do is develop more discipline about the way that they're growing. It's the case as you are escalating your growth over time that you can behave for a while as if there was no limit to the way that you could spend to find growth. But more mature companies get held to something called the rule of 40. And the rule of 40 is that the growth rate plus the margin rate in the company need to equal forty percent of revenue. And and Cornerstone's goal in that area is to achieve the rule of forty by twenty twenty. Right? So they're they are starting to get really disciplined in the way that they gather revenue and the way that they account for their spending. To get to growth, and so so part of what that means for Cornerstone is that they are shedding the revenue associated with implementations and putting that out in third parties because you get more margin in your system that way, and and that's a change that has something to do with maturity, um, and and so so that's the thing that I think Brian's talking about.
1: And then his second one was about HR and the culture wars, which is a different dialogue then from the financial and the, the management perspective. But I thought this was sort of interesting. Um, in this perspective, he's really talking about the fact that um, does the culture enable or inhibit performance, right, whether that's for the vendor or for an organization dealing with their HR technology, Um And culture is something we've been talking a lot about, and I know our data is definitely showing on the CRC side that organizations are making decisions about which vendors they're going to align themselves with based off of culture. Um, But I'm not sure that that's exactly where... Brian is going with this one. There's a lot bigger issues here about the culture of the type of organization that you're setting up from an HR perspective. Do you think culture is going to continue to be a big issue next year? I think our data shows that, but I don't know, John, from your perspective, is culture going to trump things like artificial intelligence or is it part of it?
0: Well, so so there's some really interesting stuff. I I wrote a piece this week about the fact that I, I saw the most interesting statistic. and The statistic is that of When women are harassed at work, several things happen. Any woman who is harassed is likely, significantly likely, 90% likely, to make less money than other women in that same company. And women who are continuously harassed and and what I would call bullied, although that's not the conventional language for it, um, leave seventy nine percent of them leave within two years, and what that means is that flight risk forecasting which is which is uh, improperly focused on individual behavior can be used to spot hot spots inside of the company walls where people are in trouble and um, and, and so you can use flight risk predictions which is part of what brian's talking about here in as a way of identifying places where it's worth investigating further into whether or not there's harassment going on there so so when i hear about culture i i tend to want to think about things like that most of the talk talk about culture is fluff it's just fluff um there's no way of measuring culture there's no way of saying this kind of culture is good and this kind of culture is bad, or this sort of behavior is good. This sort of behavior is bad. That The the underlying substance behind conversation about culture and companies is extremely vacuous. Um, and and so so I think that that, Where we are is we're evolving this understanding. We're doing a lot of measuring. Ten years from now, we're going to have a really good way of thinking about how culture and performance are related to each other. But I have yet to see a single piece of insight, a presentation, or a written document that talks about how sexual harassment is evidence of the culture of a company. And so that what that means is that nobody's looking at what it's really like to work there, because lots of companies are hostile work environments. Hostile work environments yeah. are the culture of a lot of companies, but but you don't see anything about that. You don't.
1: You know, and I, and I think you know what's what's interesting in in your comment and and the the sort of the different way of viewing things like whether it's sexual harassment, whether it's hostile work environment, whether it's. Um, what we would consider an ambitious or a cutthroat culture, right, compared to maybe a collaborative culture, right? All of those things, um, you know, so have what I would consider sort of levels to them, right? So sort of there's such sort of really, really heinous levels all the way down to sort of um, not so sort of just uh, areas of gray or shades of gray, I guess I would say. And part of the conversation I think we're also having is, you know, how do we as employers, as employees, sort of figure out what the line is in, in in the mixture between culture versus sort of work environment and what we're willing to accept. And so I think the measurements are gonna come back in many ways to our own personal cultural beliefs. And that's going to be really hard because everyone comes from very different backgrounds, very different experiences, very different expectations, and yet we are personalizing work more and more. And so those two things, I think, are going to collide a little bit. And over the next 10 years, I think, to your point, we may come up with some common understandings, um, but it's going to be a really tough road to get there, very, very tough road to get there. Interesting. Well, and I think... You know, to sort of add on to this, you know, one of the things that that Brian mentions here is that there are four themes that no vendor will discuss, which I thought was sort of interesting. And, you know, his commentary on culture is an important component. We've got to figure out some metrics for it, but nobody really has um, anything hard and fast in it. And yet HR is one of the areas where we are seeing a lot of organizations sort of shy away from big topics. Um, one of the ones that he mentions is ageism issues, right? Age discrimination um, is an issue that vendors don't want to tackle, yet we're seeing a lot of stories come up in the last um, month about things like Facebook targeting various um, uh, employment opportunities based off of employees' age, You know, whether or not that is um, something that um, smacks of EEOC issues, right, or whether that's just good marketing and good targeting, right? Um, he also <laughs> mentions things like the um, personal uh, privacy issues, right, Uh, the issues around um, the sexual harassment, discrimination that we talked about. Do you think it's HR's role to bring these things up in organizations, or is it their role to monitor and manage them? I guess that's always been the conversation I think I've had with many HR professionals is, is it our role to bring it up, force the issues, have the conversations, or is it their role to sort of monitor, manage, and, address it when it comes
0: up, right? God. Uh, so, so, so just, <laughs> just to recap, question, right? Brian, Brian's, Brian's four things that, that um, vendors will never talk about are their own bad behavior, um, age discrimination, um, the change of management, in in those and change of ownership in those hcm vendors and and the fact that every single company has an alexa demo and they're claiming that that's ai right that's those those are those are brian's four large complaints and and you know it's hard to argue with them On, on the question that you raise um is it HR's job to be proactive about the things that they discover when they monitor them? I think that there are people in HR who think that's a question and those same people wonder why they don't have input into the strategic process at the company. So, so, so the answer is, if your job is to monitor a problem area and and there's evidence of a problem and you don't do something about it, you ought to be fired. Of course it's their job to go, oh, look, we've got evidence of this or that in our company, and they probably should even be more aggressive about that. Uh, of course they should. Of course they should. And anybody in nature who says, says. We are not complicit simply because we didn't um, highlight the fact that there was sexual harassment going on in our workplace. Well, wow. I guess you can say that. That that goes right under the same category as I was just following orders. Um, well, I... But- but, but I think I think it's I think it's an
1: honest conversation. Yeah, I mean I know I'm, I I get your point. It's easy to sit here and and say that you know from from where we sit in an analyst role, right? But I think if from an HR perspective, and and your point being, you know, if they're supposed to be managing it, if they're supposed to be reviewing it, but you know, I think what we see for a lot of HR professionals sitting in these jobs and in these roles is that they're especially if they're in a role where they don't have a strategic voice, right? Um, they may see things happening, they may voice them and bring them out in the places they're able to, but to open up conversations when management isn't ready to have them or isn't willing to have them can be a very difficult situation to be in, especially if you don't have can a way you have to have to, a hold voice on, or hold no data behind on. it. Could you, right?
0: could you imagine not firing an employee who said, I don't want to talk to management about obvious production quality problems? because they're not ready to hear it? (laughs) Can you imagine not firing an engineer who said, um, well, yeah, yeah, the product design was terrible, but management wasn't ready to hear it?
1: I think this is one of the big issues that HR is facing right now, right? Is the employee issues, as long as they're not crossing legal lines, right? I'm not talking about things that, you know, crossing legal lines, then, then, you know, that's their responsibility. They absolutely have to be talking about it. But that gray line between what's a cultural context, right? Cultural issues, right? That's hang on, hang on. We're talking additional.
0: about HR departments that were complicit in sexual assault sexual harassment thing on the job in companies. That stuff was illegal as it was going on. We're not, ta- we're not talking about stuff that's, that's marginal. We're talking about an entire profession that didn't stand up and go, oh, look at this discrimination that's happening in the workplace. We need to do something about that. And yet they want, as an institution, HR wants a seat, quote, at the table with other people who, when there's a problem like that in their departments, they address it.
1: And this comes down, I think, to the to the comment that that uh, Brian actually was making, and along with some of the other uh, comments that he was making, right. But he was talking about the the previous one. Is do we have data to support this, right? If there's no data, a lot of those other things you mentioned, there's clear data supporting those things, right? Uh, when it's No data behind it, you know, when you haven't tracked it, when you don't have ways to sort of calculate things like this, when you don't have a definition for some of it, it makes it much more difficult. But I agree with what you're saying, you know, if it's clear breaking the law, yes, and we had many cases of that in environments such as the Uber environment this year. But uh, in some cases, there were a lot more gray areas as well, I'd say.
0: Okay well I you, you know you know I think I think it's useful to be insistent about this particular thing which is which is that that the job is is work right and and work involves doing unpleasant things sometimes and work actually involves doing good work involves being willing to put um quality ahead of your own personal security and and to sanction Uh, an entire profession um, for not being willing to risk their own personal security to do what's right. I I think that's a really bad idea. The the other thing that Brian's talking about is also an endemic thing that doesn't get attention from HR vendors or from HR departments, and that is age discrimination. Um, And and one of the things, so I've watched so a number of age discrimination stories evolve, and they all seem to be told by old people, right? <laughs> and, 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 and my sense is that is that old people complaining about age discrimination is not a story that's going to go very far. Um, if you started to have 30-year-olds going – Everybody says we've got a talent shortage, but I'm looking around and I see all of these competent 60 and 70-year-old people who can do the work but are not being hired to do the work. Then we'll start to see some movement on the age discrimination topic. But but we will only see movement on the age discrimination topic when young people think that it's a problem.
1: Well, I think this goes back a little bit to, you know, the the idea of what is the 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 shortage of work, right, or the shortage of workers is a better way to put it. I mean, one of the challenges that we're seeing in the market is that the things that we have worker shortages in, right, is in areas that oftentimes are highly competitive and require a lot of uh, networking and a lot of relationship building, but also require a lot of sort of um, – Skill sets that are often constantly changing and constantly moving, right? Um, the the new analytics roles, the new data analysis roles, the the stuff coming out from uh, programming and uh, neural networking, all of those type of things, right? But what is interesting, I think, is the conversation about whether or not someone who is the age discriminatory, discriminatory discrimination question is much more, it seems to me, about whether or not people are able to learn in some cases compared to the age of the person. How quickly can they adapt? How quickly can they move forward? And I think that's maybe even the bigger question in the age discrimination conversation is, do we have a perception of when people stop learning, when people stop changing, when people stop adapting? And that might be something that we're able to maybe change the dialogue around age discrimination instead of making it about an age, at which point in time did you get your first computer, which point in time did you start using your phone, but more about how quickly do you learn, how quickly do you adapt, that might help us address it. That's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately um, is that, that challenge around changing and learning as quickly as we can.
0: Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's the the stereotype is that old people can't learn, and it's a crazy stereotype. Uh, if you think about what old people are required to do, um, they're required to radically shift the way that they see themselves and the way that they work. They're often required to move. Um, you know, there there are. Enormous changes that are just a part of aging that require much more effective learning than than when you have an environment where mistake making is uh, has, has more room has more room there there are things that you have to adjust to with age that the flex there's not so much flexibility you have to be quite precise with the changes and so so it's not just. Capacity to learn, but it's learning effectiveness, and yeah. and one of one of the things that's really hard is, um, you you know if if you've been around a while and you've you've had some jobs and you've done some interesting things in your life. Um, you can, you can more easily identify stupid than when you haven't got experience under your belt. And so and so I find that, that the capable older people that I know have a very serious level of allergy to stupid. Um, <laughs> right. And that causes a problem in the workplace. That causes yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, so if, if, you, if your boss is 30 years younger, then you would ask you to do something stupid and you go, well, that's stupid. <laughs> it's it's hard to stay employed with an attitude like that. You know, and, and, it is. It,
1: and, but and and I think to your point that we you know there are also mistakes that have to be made by people for their own lessons learned, right? And that's hard to watch people make those mistakes. Um, I had a similar conversation with my son and my uh, soon to be daughter in law this weekend over the holidays. <laughs> Right. So um, but everyone has to make their own mistakes, too. And sometimes that's hard to watch people do and to do it in a way in which you're supporting them through it. Right. So yep. I think it's a good comment to make. Maybe as a, as a last one, we're, we're wrapping up the, the, the half hour here, John, and so there's a lot more to read out of Brian's um, article. We would recommend that you take some time and, and go through it in much more detail. But the last one he talks about is mergers and acquisitions and the t- impact this has on the ERP space and HR in general. Um, and he had mentioned in that article that you had talked about you know, the issue that HR vendors are very, very um, unwilling to talk about how their organizations are changing hands and the changes in leadership, which has been happening pretty rapidly in a lot of organizations in the last year, um, SAP being one of them. We saw a lot of changes taking place even in the workday environment. We saw huge changes taking place in the cornerstone environment at leadership levels. You know, some of that's a mergers and acquisition issue. Some of that's just maturity issues, Right. Um, but changes in leadership are a big issue for our HR technology vendors, um, and it does seem to have an impact when you talk to buyers as to how they think about their vendors, because when they're changing leaders, they, they maybe lose the person or the sponsor or the, orga- or the person who became sort of was the, the face of that organization. Um, do you think we're going to see more and acquisitions? Is that going to become a bigger issue, these change in leaderships, or do you think that's always just something that happens and people cycle through?
0: Well, well, the, you know, the, the dramatic influx of investment dollars, there's a billion dollars invested in just recruiting technology, I believe, last year, and the dramatic influx of money, the people who, who invest that money want to see a return, and they want to see a return in five or six years, and... That means that they pressure the people who got those loans that right when you hear about a venture investment, it's a loan. Um, the people who got those loans are are under pressure to pay it off and the easiest way to pay off a loan is to get acquired. Yeah. And so, so that'll drive the mergers and acquisition thing. I don't think the numbers have changed. Something like 95% of of mergers and acquisitions fail, some 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 ridiculous number, um, and and so what that means is you have to be cautious when you're doing business with a young company, because you can't predict with any certainty that that the way that they do business in the beginning is the way they're going to do business in the end. Because they may go through an ownership transition. If they are financed with other people's money, private equity or or venture capital, then they will go through an ownership transition. And so as you uh, get to know your vendor, what you want to do is get some sort of handle on what they think their exit strategy is so that you can be prepared to deal with it when it comes along.
1: Well, with that being said, I think this will be a year we'll be watching some of those mergers, acquisitions, new leadership changes. So um, I think uh, after uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll probably see a lot of things going on in the HR technology space. So I'm looking forward to some interesting conversations this year.
0: Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And, And do you have, by any chance... A URL for Brian Summers' predictions. Um, um, we be, do,
1: but it's a <laughs> it's a long one. Be, I, so they can probably access it off of the the radio show. But it's the the digi, on diginomics. dot dot com, um, and it's under the HR technology. Um, let me see if they've got the actual URL here. I'm looking up one of the articles. Uh, You know, I don't have the URL ready and at my fingertips here, but we will have it available on your HR Examiner blog link for the radio show. Ready?
0: Fantastic. Um, So great show again, as usual. Stacey, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks, everyone. It was always good to have good conversations. I'm looking forward to another year of full conversations and new interesting stuff in the HR technology space.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's really good. I love it when they when they get a little bit hot because that that <laughs> makes it interesting to listen to. And and I, th- I thought we had a, a robust conversation today. So thanks so much.
1: Thanks everyone, and hopefully everyone stays warm and cozy wherever you're at this week. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and if you can't, think about moving to California. And thanks, <laughs> thanks for thanks for listening. All right, you've been on HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumzer. We really appreciate you listening. Bye-bye now.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs>